Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and shout unto the name. Morning, Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. And now, without further ado, here is our pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson. Well, praise the Lord. Well, now it's time to get a holy word from our holy God. So Strong Tower, would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we will go over to Romans chapter 14. But we'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And today... Um, I believe this is one of those kinds of messages that you may need to listen to a couple of times. This may be one of those kinds of messages that you may have to pause or, or rewind if you listen to it at a later time. Because I want to get into some things um, that are culturally significant in the hour in which we find ourselves living as God's people we're in election season for the next president of the United States of America. And so therefore, as your pastor, my desire has been to call your attention first and foremost to God, to the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, to recognize his sovereignty in the midst of a land of free will, that we recognize his will, his authority, in it all and through it all so that we do not become blown around or tossed back and forth based upon the winds of politics that are blowing in our country. The, the division, the controversy, um, how people are at one another's throats right now. And so I want to call us up. I want us to look up and I want us to be reminded of who is in control, even when things get out of control or feel out of control. We know 2020 has been a different kind of year and we have all been challenged mentally. We have been challenged relationally and personally and financially uh, and spiritually. But once again, God is stable and God is able God is present, God rules, and God is good. And so today I'd like to preach a message entitled, We Need Right and Left in a Wrong World. We need right and left in a wrong world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what the writer wrote in Proverbs chapter 16 that the preparation of the heart 
is, for, is from man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Father, I have done my best to prepare my heart before you this week, studying your word, uh, repenting of my own sins, asking you to help me with my own biases and prejudices and to forgive me and cleanse me of my sins, to teach me from your word, to not assume that I know what you are saying in a particular passage. I've done my best, Lord, to empty myself, to humble myself. And I've asked for the help of the Holy Spirit then and now to communicate the word. Lord, the Bible says that the answer of the tongue is going to come from you. So, Lord, there are going to be things you're going to say today, right now while I'm preaching, that you didn't say to me while I was studying, because there's something you want to say to the people through me and in spite of me. So, Lord, I yield. And once again, Holy Spirit, have your way. Help me to preach today. Help your people to hear a word today and help all of us to put into practice the things that we're hearing and help all of us to have our faith increase because we're hearing the word of Jesus Christ. We love you, God, and we bless you in Jesus name. Amen. Growing up in Baltimore, you've heard me mention how athletics were an important and critical part of my life and my upbringing. And when I grew up, we, we played a lot outdoors. We played all kinds of sports and we even invented sports. But we also stuck with the staples, football, baseball, basketball. And as it pertains to baseball and basketball in particular, one of the things the guys in my neighborhood stressed when we played at the age of 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 is that we have to learn how to be, listen to this, athletically ambidextrous. <laughs> athletically ambidextrous. What I mean by that is this. When playing basketball, if you were right-handed and you shot with your right hand and you dribbled with your right hand, you were challenged in my neighborhood to develop a left hand in order uh, to become a better basketball player. You had to not only dribble with your right hand, but you had to learn how to dribble with your left hand. I remember when I learned how to dribble behind my back with my right hand, but oh, you couldn't tell me anything once I learned how to do it with my left hand. And when you play basketball, there will be guys who, if they knew you liked to go right, which was to your, your strong side, they would try to block you off intentionally to force you to learn how to go to the left, your weak side. So you had to learn how to finish with your right hand in the paint and finish with your left hand in the paint. You had to know how to shoot with your left as well as shoot with your right. And so I, I'm thankful for the kids in my neighborhood. But even not, not only with basketball, but we also did that with baseball. And uh, because we realized that when we watched baseball on television back then and we collected baseball cards there was something about a switch hitter and a switch hitter could bat from the right side or the left side of the plate and so once again i was naturally right-handed so when we played baseball in the street sometimes i would switch over and bat left-handed even though that wasn't my strong or my strength 
uh, in terms of batting, but I, I did it in order to develop and grow and become a more complete street baseball player. And so when we think about politics today in this world, there are very few politically ambidextrous Christians. Christians who can go right and go left. Typically, Christians are usually for one side or the other. And there is nothing inherently wrong with that. And I hope to make that very clear today in this message. But I find that uh, uh, it, it is better for the kingdom if Christians can have a balance so as not to be imbalanced to one side or the other. Uh, and I'm thankful that although I grew up in a uh, democratic home, as we know, statistics say that most black people, most black Protestants, over 85% will vote democratic, that that's who they will align with and who they will associate with. And I grew up in a democratic home, but then I went to a quote unquote Republican school. I grew up democratic or what some would call left, but then I went to a Republican school, a Christian school that some would call right. And so I was exposed to both cultures, the left and the right. And by personal conviction and, and freedom of, of conscience, I was able to say that I pledge allegiance to neither party of the United States of America. That you can't pigeonhole me into being a Democrat because I'm black or pigeonhole me into being a Republican because I am an evangelical by way of my theology. You can't pigeonhole me and put me in a box. And so as I um, began to vote and use my right to vote, um, over the years I have been politically ambidextrous voting for the right and the left on the local level and even on the federal level. Um, I have voted for both Bushes. Uh, I have voted for both Clintons and I have voted for Barack Obama. I have voted for Republicans and I have voted for Democrats. And when I vote for someone, um, there are usually two things that stick out to me, maybe three. One is uh, the person's character. I I'm looking at the person's character and their ability to be a leader. And then secondly, I'm looking at their policies, the policies that they are going to promote and put forth. And then thirdly, I would look at the person who is best for our country in the moment, in the moment. And so that, that, that would be the barometer that I would use as a voter. And I still use that. Again, I, I am politically ambidextrous. And sometimes when you're not with the right, or the left with Republicans or Democrats, that often means that you're politically homeless. That also means that you're not embraced by either side as you speak truth to power on both sides, which means that there will be repercussions whereby you get shot at from both sides. And God just so determined that myself being a nonpartisan, politically ambidextrous person 
would end up being a nonpartisan, politically ambidextrous pastor of a multiracial church in the South. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, I tell you. You see, I've been blessed to have pastored partisan believers. Nonpartisan pastor, even though I've been accused of being partisan, I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but I've had the privilege of pastoring uh, 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 partisan believers, uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, in the midst of our multidimensional church over the past 25 years. And, um, and, and if I have to liken it to something, I hope you can get this illustration. Um, Democrats are known as, you know, the blue party. Republicans are known as the red party. Now, when I did ministry across the country, back when I did Christian rap and street preaching, I found myself in Watts, Los Angeles, um, preaching in a gang infested neighborhood and going from there even into Compton and other areas in Los Angeles where there would be street gangs who would identify themselves based on the colors that they wore. And based on the colors that they wore, it would also signify the neighborhoods or the communities that they ran or that they oversaw. So for instance, the Bloods, which is a uh, street gang in Los Angeles and other parts of the country, they are known for wearing the color red. And the Crips, they are another gang and they are known for wearing blue. And so if you found yourself in a blood or red neighborhood, you didn't want to be there wearing blue. You wanted to wear some other color, but you didn't want to wear blue in a red neighborhood or wear red in a blue neighborhood because unfortunately, young black men who are looking for the family structure and, and, the, and the encouragement and the fulfillment that comes from a family, many times they had to recreate family through these gangs and they would fight over territories that they did not technically own. And so when I look at that, I look at what is happening politically. You have reds on one side and blues on the other. And over the years at Strong Tower, I have pastored reds and blues, Democrats and Republicans. I have pastored bloods and crips in Strong Tower Bible Church. And bloods and crips don't get along. But when the focus is on Jesus, as we're going to see today, then you give the Bloods and the Crips an opportunity to get along, even though they're philosophically different. And so I pastored partisan believers. I pastored some gangbangers up in Strong Tower Bible Church. I have learned that the Bloods are not as tolerant as the Crips. Yeah, yeah, I've learned that the Bloods, the Republicans, the conservatives are not as tolerant as the Crips, as the Democrats, as the progressives. Um, <laughs> I remember like back in the day when Darina and I were invited to go to the inauguration of the first elected African-American to be president, Barack Obama. We, we, we received an invitation to go to Washington and to take part in the festivities because of the historicity of the moment. 
Um, and I never endorsed Barack Obama publicly. I never uh, endorsed him in the, behind the pulpit of Strong Tower, none of that. Always remained politically neutral. But one of the members of our church, his father uh, was a Republican congressman out of Pennsylvania. And he had visited the church and I'd visited his home. So we knew of each other. And so he said to his son, he said, do you think your pastor and his wife would like to go to the inauguration? And again, he's a Republican. And so the, the man asked me and I said, absolutely, we want to go because this is historical. So Doreen and I went, we had a great time. We sat on the lawn and we watched Barack Obama uh, be sworn in as the 44th president of the United States. Well, when we got back to Tennessee, um, there were people upset. One family in particular, um, because they didn't like the fact that we went to the inauguration. So therefore they removed their membership. And when they removed their membership, they went to a church that was all bloods, all bloods. They went to a church that was right wing, that was Republican in nature. And it broke my heart because I'm like, wow, that caused you to leave our church? The fact that I went to an inauguration, ha! Ah. But again, I have seen that it is uh, the group of the, the bloods. They're not as um, um, grace, gracious usually. And I know I may have offended someone with that, but that's okay, you'll be all right. Uh, but that's just what I've learned in my experience because here's the thing, race and politics usually run on the same line. And it's hard to pastor a church that is racially diverse with a black white binary in the South, meaning that the, the primary makeup people make up our congregation black and white, black and white binary. But there are other ethnic groups in our body, praise God. But we have a black white binary. It's hard when you come into politics because many times for our racial makeup, politics also identifies who we are. So when you have Strong Tower Bible Church and it has black and white, many times it is also di divided among, along political lines where typically whites are Republicans and blacks are Democrats. But the beauty of America and the beauty of Strong Tower is that we have had black Republicans and of course, white Democrats. And we don't know who is who until someone gets mad <laughs> and they leave the church. But usually those are my conservative folks or former conservative members. So it's not easy being a church that's racially diverse and politically diverse. It's not easy being that. It's not easy leading a church like this. And it's not easy attending a church like this because we want to be comfortable, unfortunately, when we come to church and we don't like to be stretched when we come to church. But but Jesus gave us a cross to follow him, not a mattress to follow him. You know what I'm saying? So so it's not always about being comfortable. It's about being transformed. And it's also about living in community with people who are different from you, because the main thing you have in common is the only one that matters. And that's Jesus Christ. My goodness. Uh, 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 there are several problems that jump out today that I see before I get to my text. 
I see a problem uh, when conservative Christians, i.e. the bloods, judge progressive Christians, i.e. the Crips, for not voting for Republican. OK, I, I'm just going to go there. All right. I have seen conservative Christians judge progressive Christians for voting for baby killers is what they say. That how dare you vote for a person or a party that kills babies. And so they guilt trip a group of people in the body of Christ um, based on how they see politics, how they see even the kingdom of God, what takes ultimate priority. And we're not saying that babies in the womb don't take a priority. But what we're going to see today is that that is not right to guilt trip other believers and say that if you really are a Christian, you should vote this way. Now, when I read my Bible, when I read my Bible, I don't see the criteria for salvation or the proof of salvation being how you vote. The criteria for salvation is who you believe in. You have to believe in Jesus, the son of God who died on Calvary's cross for your sin, was buried and resurrected on the third day. That's the only way a man or a woman can be right with God, born again. It has nothing to do with how you vote. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't turn the station. Don't turn me off. But then another problem I see is when progressive Christians, i.e. the Crips, they look down on conservative Christians or the Bloods for not voting for a Democrat. When, when, when the Crips look down or despise, make fun of conservatives because of how they vote, that's a problem as well. And, and, and we need to deal with that. And this passage we're going to look at today also deals with it. But another problem I see is that when conservative Christians and progressive Christians choose not to respect one another's differences and thereby divide the body of Christ. That's a problem to me. When the right and the left, if you will, don't respect one another's differences, fight over those differences and become just as divided, if not more divided than the politicians in Washington, D.C. There's a problem with that when, when, when the church, because if the church continues to allow itself to to be defined by political lines, then the church will continue to be divided on uh, political lines. So there's something higher for us. Yes, we are to engage in the political process from voting to running for office holding those in office accountable, all of that. But we are not to trade our birthright in the process of participating in politics. Our birthright is from above. Our citizenship is from above. And as I said last week, that kingdom is first. This kingdom is second. And so, so we have to, to bear that in mind. And I have lost friends, not only church members, but I have lost friends, uh, pastors, that we no longer kick it because politics and even race have divided us. 
Where Jesus was the one who once brought us together, uh, it seemed that he couldn't keep us together because we had agendas that conflicted with one another. But may the Lord have mercy on us all. And so I want to ask this question. Which political group is correct? Is it the left or the right? Which political group is correct? Is it the left or is it the right? Well, let me go ahead and squash it and put it to rest. All right. I'm going to answer which political side is right. Is it the left or the right? Here it is. I'm, I'm going to squash it right here. On one hand, they are both correct. <laughs> yeah, the left is correct. The right is correct. Why do I say that? God gives people the freedom to be who they are in him. Because we recognize that we are fallen people in a fallen world with fallen systems and fallen pol pol uh, political parties. There's no perfect party. But both parties have things about them that are consistent with biblical values and ethics that we see in the word of God. And so which one is correct? I'm here to say both can be correct, but they are not always correct. Are you, are, are you rolling with me? Uh, let's see here. For the, because there's someone on the right right now. You're struggling that I said the left can be correct. There's someone on the left right now. You're struggling that I said the right can be correct. Well, if you've traveled and you've gone around the world, You've had the privilege of going into countries that are a lot different from this country. Not too long ago, I went to a country and um, the driver picked me up. And when the driver picked me up, put my bags in the car, got in the car. And the first thing I noticed was that the steering wheel was on the wrong side of the car. Mm -hmm. The steering wheel was on the right side of the car. Where I come from, the steering wheel is on the left side of the car. So, so, so they're wrong. That's the first thing I said, man, the, the wheel is on the wrong side. But if that driver were to come to America and I pick him up from the airport and he gets in the car and the steering wheel is on the left side, I bet he would say, wait a minute, the, the wheel is on the wrong side. It should be on the right side, not the left side. What's the point? You can't judge people for where they come from culturally because in their mind, the way they see things is correct to them, even though it may be wrong to you. Well, let's take it a step further. When I got into that car with the steering wheel on the quote unquote wrong side, that driver then commenced to drive on the left side of the street, which to me was the wrong side of the street. So the whole time he's driving, I'm, I'm tensing up. Because my mind has been conditioned to operate by driving a motor vehicle on the right side of the street. But he's on the left side. So I'm sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time. I can't compute. I can't figure it out how he can just stay on the left side. In my mind, I kept correcting him going to the right side of the street, sitting from the back seat. Ah. 
But I guess, but guess what? If he were to come to America and I pick him up and he says, man, the steering wheel is on the left side, which means it's on the wrong side. And then I take him to the destination and I'm riding on the right side of the street. I bet you he's sitting in the back seat, clinching and being tense as well because he's used to driving on the left side of the street. So who's right and who's wrong? Neither. Both are correct. It just depends on where you're coming from. And in the body of Christ, we've got to give people uh, the freedom to be who they are, to think how they think, and yes, to vote how they vote. You see, when we approach voting, there are some who are one issue voters, and those are typically the people on the right who are in the bloods. Typically, they're one issue voters, i.e. abortion, pro-life. Um, and so when, when you start dealing with that, we have to say, OK, you can have that conviction. But as I come and I dialogue with you, not debate with you, I'm here to say to you that there are many issues in Scripture that ought to get a believer's attention along with fighting for the life of the unborn. There are other uh, priorities in the kingdom as well. And so therefore, for me, for this ambidextrous nonpartisan pastor, for me, I recognize that there are many issues that challenge and move different kinds of people in the body of Christ. Things like the poor. You, we read about the poor in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the things that God says about them and the special treatment that God gives to the poor. So for some of us, how we deal with poverty or the poor is a driving factor in how we vote. Also, when we come to the scriptures, the scripture talks about those who are sick or those who are in need of health care. And so there are Christians who, when they look at the scriptures, they see the importance placed upon health care. And we know that's a political hotspot. It's a debate whether health care should be universal, whether it is something that is a right or if, if it's something that is a privilege that only a few can afford. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Do you see how pastors can get in quicksand? But then the Bible talks about babes. The Bible talks about little children. The Bible talks about the elderly. The Bible talks about including strangers or immigrants. The Bible talks about incarceration. The Bible talks about education. The Bible talks about the military. The Bible talks about injustice, oppression, weapons. The Bible talks about widows. The Bible talks about orphans. The Bible talks about fiscal responsibility for individuals as well as for countries and nations. The Bible talks about integrity for leaders. The Bible talks about Israel and how one is related to Israel. The Bible talks about classism, racism, and gender equality. And so the Bible, it covers so many things. And so it's hard for many of us to reduce how we address politics with one issue. But let me say this, though. If it is one issue or a, or a primary issue for you, then let it be that issue for you. 
and leave room for God to be God in someone else's life with their conscience and their convictions operating accordingly. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. Paul says, there are diversities of gifts. You see that? Everybody doesn't have the same spiritual gift. Praise God. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So all of these gifts, these different gifts come from the same fountain, the same source, the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say in verse five, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Aren't you glad that every Christian, every church doesn't have the same ministry focus that God has given us different callings on our lives and on our ministries, on our churches. But guess what? It all comes from the same Lord. Then he says in verse six, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So we see differences, but yet the same God, the same spirit. What does all that mean? There's diversity in the kingdom of God. There's diverse gifting. There are diverse ministries and there are diverse activities. We are wrong when we try to make people do what we do, be burdened by how we're burdened, vote how we vote, live where we live, go to church where we go to church. It goes on and on and on. There is no fourth member of the Trinity called you. <laughs> there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. No, God is God all by himself and he knows how to take care of his people. So now let's go over, turn backwards to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14. And I'll use the remaining of my preaching time to talk about how Paul had to deal with differences that existed in the church at Rome. Oh, my. Oh, my. There were mainly two kinds of people in the church, Jews and Gentiles. Praise the Lord, because Paul said in Romans 1:16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew as well as for the Greek or the Gentile. So God has always had it on his mind to bring everybody together in him and through his son, Jesus Christ. So diversity, ethnic diversity. But when you have Jews and Gentiles coming together into one body, one church unto one savior, Jesus Christ, not only are they different ethnically, but they're different culturally, culturally. So when they're coming, they have differences. And here's the deal. God is not afraid of differences. But we are. We're afraid of differences. But different is just different. It's OK. And when the, the Jews came into this new thing called the body of Christ, they were still wrestling with what freedom looked like for them, especially as it pertained to dietary restrictions. Now, the Bible lets us know that Jesus declared all foods clean, that a, a Jew was no longer under the societal laws and the dietary laws once they came to Christ any more than they were under the Mosaic law. They're not under the law. The law brings a curse because all men break the law. Law brings death. But Christ came to, to be the, the leader to salvation because he's the end of the law. And he gives us a new law of loving him and loving one another. 
But there were Jews who struggled with the circumcision and the special days and the kosher food. There was a lot for them. And so they did not want to put down certain aspects of their identity, which was co connected to their former religion. But then you had these Gentiles and Greeks coming into the kingdom of God, into the local church, into the body of Christ. And they ate any and everything. And they ate anywhere. They would eat in idol temples and, and food sacrifice to idols. Of course, they would uh, drink alcohol and abuse it, all kinds of things. So you have these two groups of people coming together under one roof. And unlike today, they had to bear with each other. They had to, to work it out. You know why? Because they just couldn't get up and go to a church down the street that was politically, racially or culturally comfortable for them. There weren't churches on every corner. Believers had to work it out together. But in this age, man, as soon as you don't like what's going on, you get up and you leave and you go somewhere else that's more comfortable and you stay there until they offend you. Then you get up and go find another church. Come on, y'all. We're better than that, right? So Paul had to lead this body. They couldn't be so spiritual that they couldn't deal with the reality of the differences that they had. So they had to work it out. And what Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter 14 is a blueprint for every church, especially now, that have differences culturally. And I will add differences politically. How are we to work with our differences? Uh, how are we to be one but not the same? How can we be unified without suffering from conformity. Hmm. How can we be uniquely who we are and embrace one another for who they are, even when we're different racially, linguistically, culturally, and even politically? Is Jesus strong enough, mighty enough to bring different kinds of people together? And if you've been married for a while, you know that he can do that, right? Because a man and a woman are just as opposite as can be. But thank God for opposites, man, because opposites attract. Yeah, they can attack, but it's good when they attract and connect. And it's great when that happens in the body of Christ, when opposites can connect together and not always be in combat with each other. Paul, man, how do you lay it out for us? Well, Romans chapter 14, let's read over it real quick. Verse one, Paul says to this diverse church, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So as I walk through this passage, I want you to listen for three things. I'm not going to give you three points, but I want you to listen to at least three things. OK, we're just going to walk through the passage, but listen for these things. Know who you are whether you are weak in the faith or strong in the faith, okay? So, so listen for this and know who you are, 
whether you are weak in the faith or strong in the faith. And I know when we hear weak, nobody wants to be weak. But Paul had no problem saying who the weak people were in his church. And we need to understand that on a given topic or a given, given situation, one person may be weak, another person may be strong. But if you flip it into another situation, the one who was weak may be strong and the one who was strong might be weak. But in the context, they're dealing with food and they're dealing with special days. And the Hebrew people are the weak believers in that church. And the Gentile believers are the stronger people in the church. And Paul, listen to this church. He likens himself to a strong believer because he says in verse 15, we then who are strong. So Paul is saying, I'm strong, which means I can eat vegetables and I can eat meat. I can go left and I can go right. In fact, Paul grew up right. Paul grew up red. Paul grew up as a blood. Paul grew up as a conservative, as a Hebrew Pharisee with a strict dietary regimen. That's how he grew up. But through Christ, he got freed up whereby he could respect where he came from. But he could also enjoy eating a ham hock sandwich. OK, so, so he grew. He was one of those kinds of people. And so he is the pastor over this congregation. And Paul is wonderfully ambidextrous. He can go left and he can go right, which is why he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Paul says, I can go right or I can go left. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be a healthy believer, you need to know how to use your right hand and your left hand. You need to know how to go right and when to go left. Ah, boy. Oh, boy. There's so much I can say, but I got to get on my horse and go. So, so listen for that. I want you to know who you are, whether you are a weaker brother or sister or a stronger brother or sister. Secondly, stop judging others if you are weak. So, so we're going to listen for that. Now, stop judging people if you are weak and stop despising people if you are strong. And then thirdly, listen for this. Receive others for who they are. Receive them. Why? Because Christ receives them. So if you are weak, receive those who are strong. If you are strong, receive those who are weak. If you are a Republican, receive those who are Democrats. If you are a Democrat, receive those who are Republicans. Why? Because if they're children of God, the Lord has received them. And if God has received them, your political opponent, unfortunately, if God has received them, who are you to reject them? And if God has received you, who are they to reject you? So, so we focus too much on man and not enough on God, the one who receives us in spite of us. And again, our parties are flawed. Our philosophies are flawed because we're flawed. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, still receives us. And the mercy that we receive, we are to extend. Hmm? Even to people who are different from us. Even to people who believe differently than we believe. The body of Christ needs to stop being divided over these, what Paul calls, disputable matters. So, so, so let's go, let's go, let's go. 
Romans 14, verse one, Paul says, receive. That word means to accept, even to embrace. And it is in the present aorist tense. An aorist tense is a command. Present speaks of ongoing. So keep on receiving one another is what he's saying. Receive one who is weak in the faith. So he's implying here strong people receive weak people. They're weak in the faith. And, and, and watch this now. All of us are in process in the faith. Amen. And again, some areas I'm strong in, some areas I'm weak in. So don't be judgmental or look down on people because of where they are currently. So receive, accept one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Another version says disputable matters. In other words, things about food and special days, as the rest of Romans talks about, they're disputable matters. They are secondary matters in the kingdom. They are not to be primary issues. But I know to some people they're primary. But Paul is like, come on, man, in the grand scheme of things, whether you eat uh, 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 this kind of food or you eat that kind of food, come on, man, which is why he's going to say later that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is a matter of power and joy in the Holy Ghost. OK, so the kingdom is not about eating and drinking. It's not about voting. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse one, receive one who is weak in the spirit, but not to disputes over doubtful things or disputable matters. So recognize that this stuff that we are disputing about, it's a disputable matter. It's a secondary matter. So don't make this primary. Verse two, for one believes he may eat all things. Who's that? That's the Gentile. That's the one who is strong, even though they don't know a lot. They don't have the religious foundation coming out of Judaism, but but they're free in a lot of ways because that particular yoke of legalism is not on them. They've got other things to deal with by way of hedonism in the culture, but they don't have the yoke of the law on them. So Paul is saying that these people can eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So there are people in the body of Christ based upon where they are in this moment. They're vegetable eaters only. And so we got to watch that word only right there, because usually when people are vegetable eaters only, they usually expect other people to be vegetable eaters only. Why? Because they come from the law. They're under the law still which means they are legalistic and they don't have a problem placing themselves under a law, yet alone placing other people under the law. So if you are an only person, you are usually a legalistic person. Uh, I only vote for Republicans. Um, I only go to church here. I only wear these kinds of clothes. I only listen to this kind of music. I only eat this kind of food. So if you're an only person, you are usually a legalistic person. Now, when we talk about conservatives real quick, conservatives want to hold on to things. Progressives want to let go of things. Which one is wrong? Neither one. They're both correct. Because if you take a jar and let's say it's a jar of preserves and you have strawberry preserves in a jar. In order to open that jar up, you've got to turn it to the 
left in order to get the preserves out of the jar. But in order to protect what's left in the jar, you got to turn the lid to the right and make it tight in order to conserve what's there. So the, the, the turning left and the turning right works together. And that's how it ought to be in the country. Because if you look at a bird, a bird doesn't fly with just one wing. A bird flies with the right wing and the left wing. An airplane, you won't get on a plane that only has one wing, the right wing. No, you're getting on a plane that has a right wing and a left wing. And, and so if we do that with flying, why can't we do that with our country? That it's a, it's a two-party system. This is what we're stuck with. But somehow we've got to hold both sides accountable as Christians speak from a holy place in the balance to hold both accountable, to call out strengths and weaknesses on both sides. Is that not our calling? I, I know it's mine. Thank you, Jesus. Let me go back to the text. He says in verse three, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Stop and pause. The one who eats, that's the one with faith in this area. They, they, their conscience does not condemn them. So they can eat anything. And just because you can eat anything, don't look down on the person who eats only vegetables. So if you're the person that can vote right or left, don't look down on the person who only votes a particular way, whether left or right, because there are some people who will only vote for a Democrat and there are some people who will only vote for a Republican. But if you can go either way, you're nonpartisan. Don't look down on those people. And if I must confess this morning, man, there are conservatives who get on my last nerve and there are progressives who get on my last nerve, who try to make it seem like in order to usher in a new world, you've got to vote this way. You better vote this way. Man, that irritates me. And when they say that unless you vote this way, you are not a, a, a good Christian. Oh, man, that irritates me. And I look down on those people because I'm free. But Paul is challenging me. Man, don't do that. Don't look down on those folks. But again, who are you to look down on other people? Uh, see, see, it's a double edged sword. Am I right? It cuts everybody. And then he goes on to say in verse three. He says, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So if you only eat vegetables, or if you only vote this way, don't you judge the people that can eat anything or vote anyway. Don't judge them. The word judge here speaks of condemn. You don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody in. Who do you think you are to look down on someone, to judge someone, to condemn someone? And then Paul goes on to say, the reason why you shouldn't do it is because God has received the person that you're condemning. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. God, again, doesn't need you to help him judge. He's the judge and he is the one that we all will answer to, whether you eat vegetables only or you eat anything you want. Whether you vote this way or vote that way, we all answer to God, not to men. <laughs> this is good. Verse four. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So there have been people who have put me down because they don't hear from me and from this church a certain kind of uh, call, a, a certain kind of um, gaslighting to call out a particular base and make them feel comfortable. And so because I don't do that either this way or that way, 
There are people who put me down from this side and that side, and they start calling me names. And, and, and that's when you know you're really to mess somebody up when they start calling you names. And like I always like to say, you can call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner. And, and so when we come now to, to, to the rest of this, as I close, as I close, man, I've got to close. Um, the, the key to making this work together with differences in the body of Christ, in those days under one roof, one local church, uh, but today one body, many different locations, but we're divided and we're a poor witness to the world. Paul is saying, you still have an obligation to come together and respect one another's dif differences. Don't look down on them. Don't you judge them. You come together because God receives you both. So receive one another. How can we get there? We got to remember who the head is. We got to remember who the head is. We got to start. Stop focusing on the right wing and stop focusing on the left wing or the right arm and the left arm. And we got to start focusing on the head that allows movement to come from the brain down through the central nervous system to even move the right hand or to even move the left hand. We, we've got to go back to the head because that's more important than the hand to the right or the hand that's to the left. And so who is the head? Ah, glad you asked. Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to say in verses 7 through 12 how none of us live to ourselves or die to ourselves. For if we live or if we die, we live and die as unto the Lord, not to one another. And then he says, therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And if he can rule over the dead and the living, can he rule over the left and the right? Republicans and Democrats, vegetable eaters and meat eaters. My goodness, he's ruling, right? This is uh, 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 about God's sovereignty 2020. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then verse 11, verse 12, rather. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We got to get back to the head. We got to get back to the one who's more important than our political persuasions, our political parties, our political platforms. And we need to stop trying to elevate our parties and our issues over King Jesus. Yes, those things are important. But there again, there are a plethora of things in the Bible that are important to God, not just one. So we got to get back to King Jesus. But the question is, in 2020, Pastor Chris, which Jesus are you talking about? <laughs> are you talking about the conservative Jesus or the liberal Jesus? Are you talking about uh, Jesse Jackson's Jesus or are you talking about Franklin Graham's Jesus? Because everybody claims to have Jesus and it seems that their Jesus is are bent on the same political lines that they are. So rather than riding Jesus's back to victory, it seems that these political leaders and religious leaders 
are expecting the Lord to jump on their back and get with their agenda. No, 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 no. So we got to call out who the real Jesus is, because Jesus says before I return, there will be many false Christs who will come. And if possible, they will deceive even the very elect. Matthew chapter 23. So just because someone talks about Jesus doesn't mean it's the real Jesus, which is why we have to be discerning. We've got to test the spirits with the Holy Spirit and with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So which Jesus are we talking about? I'm here to let you know that uh, there is a Western political Jesus. There's a Western political Jesus. And then there is an Eastern biblical Jesus. Oh boy, oh boy, I'm about to go there. I'm about to go there. You see, the Western political Jesus is different from the Eastern biblical Jesus because the Western political Jesus lacks compassion, whereas the Eastern biblical Jesus is full of compassion. What Jesus are we talking about, huh? <laughs> the Western political Jesus uplifts certain people, while the Eastern biblical Jesus was lifted up on the cross for all people. One Jesus supports the wickedness of a capitalistic society, whereas the other Jesus confronts the wickedness of a capitalistic society. The political Jesus is consumed with America, while the biblical Jesus is concerned with the nations. The American Jesus excludes the least of these, while the Hebrew Jesus includes all of these. The political Jesus redefines the family, while the biblical Jesus defines what the family is. The political Jesus says marriage can occur between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. But the biblical Jesus says that God created marriage for a man and a woman. My God, thank you, Jesus. One Jesus turns people away. The other Jesus welcomes people in. One Jesus condemns sinners, but the other Jesus saves sinners. One Jesus condones sinners, but the other Jesus changes sinners. Can I get a witness? One Jesus leads his followers to hell, while the other Jesus escorts his followers to heaven. The political Jesus lives in the masses, while the other Jesus lives on the fringes with the outcasts. The political Jesus says the first will be first and the last will be last. But the biblical Jesus says that the first will be last and the last will be first. One Jesus is pro-life in the womb. The other Jesus is pro-life from the womb to the tomb. One Jesus says you don't have to wear a mask because it infringes on your rights. But the other Jesus says wear a mask because it shows that you love your neighbor. One Jesus is wrapped up in the flag Oh, glory. But the other Jesus is the king of glory. One Jesus says, look for the economy to come back. But the biblical Hebraic Jesus says, look for me 
to come back. Is there anybody here that knows the one true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ? Is there anybody here who submits their lives, their will, their way, their resources, their opinions, their perspectives, their politics, their race to Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? Or have you made your own Jesus and he follows after you as opposed to you following after the true Jesus who made everybody and everything and who is coming back and that we have to answer to him, all of us. So you need to know in your mind why you believe what you believe, because you're going to have to answer to him for why you did what you did. Forget other folk. Focus on the Lord. Be free and do what the Lord tells you to do. Vote the way God tells you to vote, because in the end, all of this is going to pass away. In the end, he's making a new heaven and a new earth. In the end, sovereign King Jesus is going to rule on that new earth. And we're going to be right there with him. That's the kingdom I'm living for. That's the one I'm excited about. And I pray that you will be too. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus name. Amen. The Lord has given us another opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we have assembled even virtually and all the more as we see the day approaching when Jesus Christ will return. So therefore, I want to spur you on towards loving good deeds. And please, I pray my brothers and sisters, you would spur me on to loving good deeds. We are in the body. We need each other, whether we're on the right side of the body or the left side of the body. There's just one body with one head and his name is Jesus Christ. So go out today and live for him. Go out today and let others know about his love that he has for you and that he has for them. A love that will change you, a love that will transform you, and a love that will allow you to disagree in a loving way with other Christians and even unbelievers who don't see things the way you see things. We can be loving in our differences. Amen? So get you some Romans 14 this week. Meditate on the word of the Lord. And Lord willing, we will see you Wednesday night as we continue on in the book of Habakkuk. Let's pray. Now unto him who is able to bring Republicans and Democrats together, right and left together, progressives and conservatives together. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Go vote, Strong Tower. Go vote and uh, keep praying and keep trusting Jesus. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day. And we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower. 